0: Today on Building in Faith with Pastor Ed Jones.
1: Building in Faith. Samson was called before he was even conceived through the angel of the Lord. And we believe that's a theophany where God appears in the Old Testament that happened in Abraham and Isaac. When God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you a son, a theophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament to Abraham, promising him Isaac. In this story, God comes to Samson's mother and father before Samson's ever conceived.
0: Reaching up high, with arms open wide, we see, you're changing eyes. Today, Pastor Ed will be explaining to us how Jesus appeared to the men and women in the Bible before he was even born. When Jesus appeared in the Old Testament, it's called by scholars as a Christophany. Many believe that Jesus was the one who met face to face with Abraham, as well as when Samson's mother was told she would have a son. Even during the creation of the world, the Bible says that in Jesus and through him, all things were made and exist. Now here's Pastor Ed with today's edition of Building in Faith.
1: The sermon is based on the whole chapter. I'll only be reading the first five verses and then the last verse, verse 24 and part of 25. Reading from the New Living Translation. Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. In those days, a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zora, his wife unable to become pregnant, and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and his hair must never be cut for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth, and he will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. In the last verses in that chapter, when her son was born, she named him Samson, and the Lord blessed him as he grew up, and the Spirit of the Lord stirred him. When I was thinking of the sermon, I thought about one of the prominent truths found all the way from chapter 13 to 16 concerning Samson is this, the tragedy of a wasted potential. The tragedy of a wasted potential. Samson had incredible potential, but he squandered it. It was lost. I know that sometimes in high school or in college, as people are graduating, they say, most likely to succeed. Oftentimes, uh, those people don't, and you wonder what happened to them. All their giftings, all their talents, all their abilities, and they just simply are lost in oblivion. There's an incredible narrative concerning the birth of Samson. No other narrative like that in the book of Judges. He is the only judge who God chose before his birth. Uh, Judges were called in a variety of ways, but Samson was called before he was even conceived through the angel of the Lord, and we believe that's a theophany, where God appears in the Old Testament. That happened in Abraham and Isaac when God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to give you a son, a theophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament to Abraham, promising him Isaac In this story, God comes to Samson's mother and father before Samson's ever conceived, and God says, I am going to give you a son, and he's going to be a deliverer, a judge. You would think with the dramatic birth of this child, unparalleled in the Old Testament, that he would achieve great things for God. But truth of it is, he achieved far less than any of the other judges. More spectacular birth, such a great calling. He's last of the judges in the book of Judges, and he never lives up to his potential. Oswald Chambers said, the measure of the depth to which a man can fall is the height to which he can rise. Here's a man who fell so far down He squandered his gifts. He wasted his potential, and he accomplished far less than any of the judges who preceded him. I want you to look, first of all, about the nation of Israel and where it was spiritually because he was a mirror, a reflection of the condition of the whole nation. How many know that we often get the leaders that reflect where we are politically? We often wind up getting political leaders, spiritual leaders, other leaders that reflect what the nation is like. The old adage, you get what you deserve. Look at the nation. First of all, they had a lifestyle that created a need for deliverance. The lifestyle that creates a need for deliverance. In verse one of chapter 13 it says, and again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. First of all, this is the seventh time in the book of Judges that this is mentioned. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But this time, it's longer than any other time of spiritual discipline. 40 years under the chastening rod of God. In Psalm 106, verse 43, it reads, many times he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion as they wasted away in their sin. Their lives wasted away, spent, lost in their sin. The sin that they committed would be the sin of apostasy. The apostasy of God's people, verse 1 and verse chapter 21, 25, capsulizes it. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now notice, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Evil in God's eyes, right in their eyes. Evil in God's eyes, right in their eyes. Over and over and over again. To apostatize is to leave the teaching, to leave the values, to leave the precepts of God to abandon the covenant, to throw the law behind them, and just follow cultural norms, just embrace society's standards. And that's exactly what happened here. In other times when they were oppressed, how they were oppressed, the enemy would come in and ransack, ransack their wealth. They would steal their produce, they would attack them and steal their possessions. This time the Philistines came on and came in and did something different. They intermarried with the Jewish people. They had superior knowledge of iron and so they uh, knew how to smelt iron, create weapons and instruments for farming and and so uh, they dominated the trade and then they began to control the land and they oppressed the Israelites. Notice though, in this text, it says, they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but they did what was right in their own eyes. Even if society places its stamp of approval on actions, on values, if God says it's evil, it's evil. Even if everybody says, that's okay. They say, you're okay, I'm okay, she's okay. And if God says, you're not okay, you're not okay. See, God has the final word of judgment. We're not going to stand before some human court when we stand before God. We will stand before a holy God who's given us his description and prescription on how we ought to live. They embraced the culture around them and lost their distinctiveness. So they did what was right in their own eyes. Their conscience didn't bother them. They felt, oh, no, this this is fine. It doesn't matter if God says it's evil, it's what's in his eyes, not what's in your eyes. Your conscience has to be rooted and grounded and guided by the word of God. That's the touchstone, that's where we understand right and wrong. And so you could see their apostasy by intermarrying with the world, not being separate from the world and the culture around them. They not only abandoned God's law and were in the sin of apostasy, forsaking the things of God, but they also experienced the result of apostasy. Every sin carries with it its own consequences. In every disobedience, the consequence of that disobedience is within that sin, and so you could see the consequences of apostasy. Again, the Israelites of did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. That is the longest oppression. There's something different about this verse than the preceding verses in all six accounts prior. When they did evil in the eyes of the Lord, God sent oppression, and you know what the people did? They cried out, God, help us. God, deliver us. God, forgive us. This time they don't. 40 long years of oppression, repeated sin, repeated apostasy. The cycle goes on and on and it deadens their hearts. It desensitizes them so that they become accustomed to God's divine discipline and they simply go on and they never cry out to God for forgiveness. They're comfortable in their disobedience. That's always a dangerous place. All through the Christian life, you're in a battle. From the beginning of the Christian life to the end of it, a battle against evil in this world, the world, the flesh, and the devil, the Bible tells us they gave up and they embraced it and they lived under the anger of God. They were absolutely apathetic. They lost their ability to cry out to God. And so that's the lifestyle that creates a need for deliverance, the apostasy of God's people and the consequences of that apostasy, God's chastisement, his judgment. Now God is gracious to us because of who he is, not because of who we are. The character of God is such that he loves and pursues and cares about his people and he follows them to the end of the journey, all through the journey, and then to the end of the journey. And God's trying to draw them back. And so what God does is he promises a deliverer. He visits one of the better families in that community, a family that hadn't completely lost their semblance of their Jewish faith and the covenant relationship with God. There was a general ignorance in the book of Judges. It kept on spiraling down 350 years from The time that Joshua entered the land to the time that the book of Judges is completed. And it spirals down and every time it goes down further and further and further from the God who they call their God. In Judges 13, 2, 3, and 5, you see this gracious promise. Uh, This man of Zorah, Manoah, he was of the Dananites, that's one of the clans, one of the tribes, his wife was without a child, and that was a stigma in that culture. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistine. Notice this God comes and gives us incredible promise. Now remember, God came to Abraham, yes, in a theophany, but now God comes twice to the household of Samson and gives us incredible prophetic word. God himself visits them and says, you're gonna have a son. That son, that child is gonna begin the process of deliverance from the Philistines. Now that process was gonna go on a long time. It was gonna go on through the first king Saul later on. It was gonna go on through part of David's reign and finally the Philistines power over the people would be broken. How many know That when God begins the work, he completes it. In our individual lives, but also in the larger picture. And so from one generation to another, to another, to another, God is continuing this work of deliverance from the enemy's oppressors, that came because of disobedience. So God takes the initiative to help his people, even though they're indifferent to him. Now God chose the household of the deliverer. It says, even though you're unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. And he gives them real careful instructions how they're to raise this child, what they're to do. God chose this household like he chose the household for Moses. God chose Isaac's household. God chose the household for Jesus, the savior of the world to be born in. Now God chose a household for this judge, this deliverer, Samson to grow up in. And you'll notice that he gives very careful instruction to Samson's mother. She is a very intuitive woman. You can see this in chapter 13. Uh, she perceives things that her husband misses. I don't know why they didn't give her name in Scripture. I've wondered that. I so why didn't they give her name? There's four women that have a big influence on Samson's life. Only one of them is named. And that was the woman who was his undoing, Delilah. Don't worry if your name isn't mentioned. (laughs) God knows. But here is this mother who's going to just follow the instructions that the angel gives, and she's going to practice being a Nazarite. She's going to practice what Samson is going to live. She's going to abstain from certain foods. She's not going to drink wine. She, before he's even born conceived, she's preparing herself to give birth to this son so that he would be raised in a godly home. Now, his father is a very uh, spiritually inquisitive. He has a lot of questions, but he's dull. He just is. He's slow to comprehend spiritual truths. He reflects the general condition of the nation. So here is this family that God singles out, chooses, and uses. They're people of their times, but... They're generally good people. Could you imagine what his mother and father would have told him about the angels? Birth story, the narrative. This angel came, it was the angel of the Lord. And then we had a sacrifice. And as we were offering that sacrifice and and, and thanksgiving to the Lord, all of a sudden, that angel, we thought it was just a man at first, and then he just ascended to heaven. Who does that remind you of? Jesus, in the book of Acts, ascending to heaven. And over and over and over, they would tell Samson the story of his birth, uh, the purpose of his calling, the very fact that God has singled him out. Generally, a Nazarite vow is always chosen. It's not put upon a person. And you could choose to have a Nazarite vow. You you wouldn't cut your hair. Uh, You wouldn't uh, drink alcohol. Uh, You would observe various aspects of the law. You wouldn't associate with a, with a dead body because you would be defiled. All of those things were symbolic. The fact that you wouldn't drink wine was saying that my joy is not from earthly wine, but from that heavenly wine, from fellowship with God. It's saying that God is the one who gives me joy in my life. That was what that vow said. That vow when you said you don't get near the dead, it's saying God is the God of the living. He's the God of of life. And so by the very way they lived, they would say, no, 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 our God is the God of the living. He didn't ordain, in the sense, death. He ordained life. They're keeping their hair. Well, they didn't cut it, so obviously it didn't look, uh, well, I can imagine what it would look like. Uh, you ladies might imagine better than I could, what it might look like on Samson. Well, he stood out like a sore thumb, but he was saying, I belong to God. I belong to God. So these were the things that the family passed on to him, and God established a lifestyle for the deliverer. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you're sterile, you're childless, but you're gonna conceive and have a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is a Nazarite. He's set apart to God from birth. Now, separation doesn't mean isolation. Doesn't mean you become a monk in a monastery. Doesn't mean that you become a hermit. But it does mean that your heart is insulated, that you are different. See, if we don't walk separated lives, we don't have power. When the sign of separation was taken from Samson, he lost his power. When his hair was cut in Eliza's lap, he lost his power, his ability. See, it's only as a church, as a separate people, and a people apart from the world, do we have power. And Samson's life illustrates that. There was this power that came from his living a separated life. He was a sign of that to others. He was a sign to all of Israel that they were to be separate from the Philistines, that they were to embrace the cultures around them, the world about them. And we are constantly bombarded by our culture and our world to take on its norms instead of saying, Lord, let your word mold me. Let your word shape me. Let your word direct me. Jesus prayed this prayer for his church, for his his people. In John 17 it says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, meaning the believers, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. What an incredible, gracious promise God gives this family. You're going to raise the deliverer. He chose the household that would be most conducive for Samson to grow up spiritually. He gave him his purpose and his plan for his whole life. And um, Samson is going to kick against it. He's going to fight against it. He's going to battle with God. You see in the coming chapters the fact that he parties. And he's going to drink. Even though God said you're an Azorite, and you're going to be different. He's going to go and tell Delilah the secret of his strength and have his hair cut. He's going to not go after the women of Israel for a wife. He constantly is going after the Philistines, their women, breaking his vow, crossing the line, going out of the will of God. This man who had such great potential, an incredible birth, an incredible testimony. Some of you have been raised up in Christian homes, And maybe there was a time in your life where you just rebelled against it. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like the other thing. Sometimes people just rebel against a godly heritage that should be valued and treasured. That's a picture of Samson. He resented the fact of the limitations, and he constantly crossed the line. Constantly crossed the line. In the fulfillment of God answers this prayer, and it's a wonderful birth. When her son was born, it says she named him Samson, and the Lord blessed him as he grew up. It's interesting that his name has nothing to do with Yahweh, nothing to do with God. It has, Bible scholars believe it's a reference to a pagan god, the god of the sun. It can be translated sunny. Well, sunny is okay as a name. But back then, it had implications of worshiping a pagan god so that they were still influenced by the culture. And what happens, you know, when God fulfills his promise of a deliverer, it's amazing. He's the God who amazes us. In Judges 19 to 21, it says this, that they took the offering and God did an amazing thing. He ascended to heaven in that offering. And they absolutely awed at this fact that they had actually been in the presence of God, so much so that Manoah thought he was gonna die. It was that fear, that sense of reverence when he was in the presence of God. And his wife had to instruct him. She said, "He, let me just read what she says. But his wife said, if the Lord's going to kill us, he wouldn't have accepted our burnt offering and grain offering. He wouldn't have appeared to us and told us this wonderful thing and done these miracles. So she has this insight. Wait a minute, man! Oh, we're not going to die. We're going to make it through. God wouldn't have given us his child to raise if he plans to kill us. God wouldn't have accepted our offering if he was going to destroy us. She has this intuition. He seems to be spiritually dull. And and it's amazing how God does miracles in our lives. Some of you have an incredible testimony of salvation. Your story is absolutely incredible. God invaded your life. God changed your life. I mean, you could stand and share with people things that God has done in your life. But does your testimony match your walk?
0: Women in ministry is a topic that has a variety of opinions surrounding it. The book of Judges highlights a particular woman who is not only a mighty warrior, but a wise leader in the nation of Israel. Through this study, Pastor Ed will share with us the important role that women play in the body of Christ. And this is only one important truth we'll learn as we study the book of Judges. To learn more about Building in Faith, or to get a free copy of today's teaching, simply log on to buildinginfaithradio.com. That's buildinginfaithradio.com. Although Building in Faith is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the Word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's Word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Faith Assembly for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to buildinginfaithradio.com and follow the link to Faith Assembly. Or feel free to give us a call at 845-462-5955. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to Building in Faith with Dr. Ed Jones. Please join us next time as Pastor Ed continues teaching verse by verse through the Book of Judges right here on Building in Faith.
1: Your